first Sunday of Advent. Christmas is almost here. 2021 is almost gone. Exams are almost here. Crazy. Got to wait a whole nother year for an Egg Bowl victory. You know, my weather app lied to me. It said the rain would stop at 6.15. It did not stop at 6.15. <laughs> Whether you were there or not, it did not stop. Um, disruption. We're going to talk about dis- divine disruptions this Advent season. And even as I was looking into this, I, it suddenly occurred to me, like, there's lots of places in the Bible where God just comes in and goes, you think it's going this way, we're going to go another. And Advent is certainly one of those. Um, when I was in high school, I was a, somewhat of a youth group junkie, tended to jump from youth group to youth group, and there was one that I was involved in that was about 20 minutes from my house. And for all you who have ever come into church late, this is for you, uh, but there was a youth group meeting one night that I was running a little behind getting there, coming from further away. And when I arrived to the youth room and, and peeked in, they were standing in a prayer circle praying and holding hands, which is how they kind of started their youth meetings, and so that wasn't unexpected. I kind of got that. But I was in this point in my life where I was Mr. High-Energy, extroverted, life-of-the-party, kind of weird, over-the-topness to my personality or whatever that somewhere has gone once upon a time. But anyway, at this stage of my life, I was, I was brimming with confidence. And so I waited patiently at the door for one of the people that they were kind of praying around the circle, you know, popcorn style. And I waited for the amen. And so I waited, a couple of people prayed, and then I heard it, Amen. I bust into the room. Amen. And the next person started praying. <laughs> so I completely disrupted the prayer circle. I was like, wait a minute. Amen is supposed to be the cue. When you do those prayer circles, it's supposed to be you just stop praying and the next person starts. And whoever they've appointed to stop is the one that says amen. That's, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way I expected it to work. And so what did I do? Completely disrupt prayer time with my over-the-top, extroverted, trying to make draw attention to myself personality. But they just kept right on praying, though, so it had no impact whatsoever. But I felt awkward and embarrassed because I had just disrupted prayer. But also a little bit vindicated because I was like, he said amen. It's supposed to be over. So it can be about me. <laughs> so I disrupted prayer. Well, disruptions can be good. Disruptions can be life-changing. In fact, I would argue that disruptions create opportunity. I mean, we could go all the way back to March of a couple years ago, right? For some of us, that meant an opportunity to get lots of extra sleep. For some of us, that meant an opportunity to be stir-crazy when you got locked down at home. But it also created opportunities for loss of income because you couldn't go to work anymore or your job didn't exist anymore. But a lot of people took that moment where they couldn't go to their regular job to launch a whole new business for themselves. Some people took that as a a two-week vacation. I'm not getting up for two weeks. I'm just going to stay right here and have Walmart deliver my groceries and live in my pajamas. There's an opportunity in coming from disruption. And so these disruptions in our life create some opportunity for change. In fact, it's the one thing that kind of breaks habits. You ever go on a vacation and you get to the hotel and nothing is where it's supposed to be when you're ready to take a shower because it's not your shower. It's not home field advantage. And so the stuff that's always where it is and the shampoo bottle's always where it is and you get to the bathroom, you're like, I left that out in the room. I left that out in the room. I can't get through my shower. Just me. Because you're in somewhere different, everything is different. 
including the location of where the soap dispenser is in your shower. It breaks the habits. You go through that morning routine, you don't even think about it. You show up at work and like, what happened in the last hour? You ever drive somewhere, you don't even remember the drive? Because you've driven it 100,000 times, you're like, where did that 15 minutes just disappear to? I have no idea. But if somebody cuts you off in traffic, you remember the drive, right? So you've done this and you've done this and you've done this, but if there's road construction and a detour, you have to consciously figure out how to get back to your route. Why? Because your world has been disrupted. Your habits have been disrupted. Your whole way of operating has been blown up. And the Advent story is probably the ultimate divine disruption. God decides, I'm done, I'm entering human history right now, and it's going to be different from now on. But by that time, all kinds of things have been happening, right? If you're, if you're a person in Israel, it's been 400 years since you've heard from God-ish or more. I don't know, somebody correct me on the history. It's been a long time since Malachi, okay? <laughs> it's been a long time in, this, in what we call the intertestament period where you had the Old Testament and God doing crazy stuff like parting the Red Sea and having people swallowed by fishes and all kind of crazy wild stories and prophets and battles and prophets telling people, God, how to get back out of the battle and how to get out of captivity, all this, act, all this spiritual activity we call the Old Testament, and then silence. Nothing. No prophet. No miracles. No recorded intervention by God for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the people of God are waiting and anticipating the day when the Messiah will come and set them free from their captors, for throw off their oppressors, to make things the way it was supposed to be when David was king. And it's just silence. Same old, same old, day in and day out, same routine, still the people of God doing people of God stuff. And they're just waiting for somebody to bust in the room and scream, Amen! waiting for God to intervene in their world and in their history and change things to bring back the throne of David. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all of the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Okay, hundreds of years of silence from God, no messengers, no prophets, no activity, Old Testament still being the Old Testament, people still going about their day, and you've got this guy named Zechariah, who's a, who's a priest, which means he goes into the Holy of Holies and does priestly kind of stuff in the temple, still worshiping the God of the Old Testament. In fact, his name actually means Yahweh has remembered again. This is named Zechariah. You want to name a kid? Yahweh has remembered again. He's a priest. His wife Elizabeth, the Scripture just told us, is a descendant of Aaron. That means she's descended from the, pre, the original priests, so both of them have this priestly background, priestly history, priestly calling on their life. The Scriptures talk about how good they are. These first two verses, the writer is giving, Luke has given us their spiritual resume. They're good people. They're righteous in the eyes of God. 
In other words, these are not, they're not barren. Here's the tragedy, right? They hadn't had kids, but they're not barren because of sin. Remember, we've talked about in those days, if God blessed you, it's because you'd done right with God. And if God cursed you, it's because you'd messed up. And no kids, by definition, was not blessed in those days. In fact, they used the word Hebrew word blessed really meant lots of babies. <laughs> okay? So for somebody to be barren, obviously God's hand is not on them. But the writer of Luke, Luke wants us to know it's not because they were sinful and, and wretched and all over the place, because they were of the line of Aaron. He's a priest. He's doing his thing. They're being faithful. But it says they're both getting on in years, and yet she was barren. If that doesn't remind you of Abraham and Sarah... If that doesn't sound like that Old Testament story, then it should. If you know your Old Testament, you know that Abraham is the one that God calls and says, hey, I'm going to start a people with you, and I'm going to give you descendants like the stars. But he was like 100 when he had his first one. I'm 50 with a 7-year-old. That doesn't compute. Okay? That doesn't compute. There's a reason you have your 7-year-old when you're 30. Biologically speaking, it's just so you can keep up. All right. So anyway, so here's a, this story that Luke is telling with Zechariah and Elizabeth sounds a whole lot like another story, another getting on in age couple without kids. And if that's when God started his people with Abraham, something else, this is a tip, this is a nod that something else is about to happen too. Luke is setting us up. Zechariah is faithful. Elizabeth's faithful, yet they have no kids. Abraham and Sarah, wink, wink. Right? He start, he's about to break the silence. He's about to do something. Luke wants us to know this is a setup. A Jewish audience reading this story would go, oh yeah, like Abraham and Sarah. Wait a minute. That's when God started His people. It's a big deal. Let's go back to verse 8. Sometimes we think stuff is in Scripture, just to like, oh, I've got to document this stuff. But Luke is going, I want you to understand, this is like then. I want you to get it. Verse 8. Once, when he was serving as a priest before God, his section was on duty. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now... At the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. Now, before I keep going, let me give you a little context here. He's a priest. It says he gets to enter the sanctuary of the Lord, read holiest of holies, go into the altar chamber where the presence of God dwelled in the temple. And it says his section was on duty. In other words, they've got hundreds of priests, and they kind of like by lot, by roll of dice, you guys... You, you are chosen to go into the Holy Holies because we drew your, na your name and number. He won the spiritual lottery. His section happened to be on duty. His name has to get happens to get chosen by lot. Then he gets to go in. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity as a priest. This is not like, oh, I'm going to be a priest again this week. It's, oh, I've been a priest. Wait, it's my turn? It's my chance I get to go in and, and put incense on the altar and be in the presence of God. This is his Super Bowl. You know what I mean? This is what he's built his whole life and practice around is to get to be the one in the Holy of Holies. And it tells us the people of God have assembled outside of there and that they're worshiping. And then verse 10. I think that's where I stopped. 
Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. Yeah. (laughs) He goes into the Holy of Holies by himself. This big moment. There's a group of people outside praying. Massive worship service going on. And out of nowhere, an angel appears. And like almost every time you read in the scriptures when an angel appears, what is Zechariah's reaction? Ah! (laughs) Right? Fear, panic, me too, I would. A physical angel is standing there. God chooses the moment in history where there's a people of God assembled in Jerusalem, worshiping Zechariah with a name that means Yahweh has remembered again enters the Holy of Holies, and that's the moment God says, I'm about to disrupt some things. Watch this. And he sends his messenger in to Zechariah. And of course, Zechariah is a little shook by this. When he saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at His birth, for He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Okay. His world is upside down. They're getting up in age. They can't have kids. And what's the angel's message? You're going to have a baby. (laughs) And you're kind of going, "Um, we've kind of passed the due date on that one. He's terrified. But then he says... By the way, his name will be John. Good news, your prayer has been heard. Probably praying for a kid, right? That's a sign of God's blessing. Maybe it was whatever prayers he was praying in the altar about bring the Messiah because we're looking for the Messiah. We don't really know. It doesn't say what his prayer was that the angel specifies, but we would guess since the answer was you're going to have a son that the prayer the angel is referring to is you haven't had a son. So here's Zechariah at his moment, at his Super Bowl priestly moment, and he gets a personal response to a prayer, an end to a tragedy of barrenness, but there's way more than to it, to it because this is not just, oh, you get to have a kid now at 75 years old or however old he is. It's not just, oh, you get to have a kid. This kid is going to be particularly special. In fact, he names him. So his tradition, this Jewish tradition, that, they, that Zechariah would have gotten the name his son. So as soon as the angel says, by the way, here's his name, this baby is already different. He is set apart. He is named by God's messenger himself, not Zechariah's choice. You will call him John. Many will rejoice at his voice, for he will, he, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, or even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the Spirit and the power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their own children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay. He's giving us, the angel is telling us how John is special and why John is special and what John, what is special about John, right? He says, 
He's not, he can't have a beer. <laughs> no strong drink. Why? That is a setting aside of him too. Before he's born, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Elijah. What do you think Luke wants us to know? John is a prophet. This sounds really weird to your ears, me to say this. He's the last Old Testament prophet. Wait, wait, it's in Luke. I know. Where is the real dividing line between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Some chapters we put together and said, this book goes here. For thousands of years, God has been the, people, the God of the people of Israel. He's brought kings. He's brought prophets. He's brought them out of captiv- at captivity. Cafeteria. He's brought them out of captivity. And for hundreds of years, he's been completely quiet. And now he tells Zechariah, your son will have the spirit of Elijah. And he will call people to repent. They will turn back to God. What do you think a prophet does? Repent. Turn back to God and you will be saved. John is an Old Testament prophet in Luke. He's the end of the old because the other one who's coming is the beginning of the new. John has been prophesied about. He's the one who would be in the desert making way, making the way for the one who is to come, the Messiah. Who does John ask? Does John ask Jesus, are you the one we're looking for or should there be someone else? It is John's job to prepare people of Israel for the coming Messiah. The silence is over. God is speaking through John and calling his people back to repentance. Sounds a lot like Malachi, doesn't it? Repent. Prepare yourself. The Lord is coming. The announcement of the birth of John is an end to a personal tragedy, but it's also the end of a national pain and barrenness and and suffering. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something. And that moment has finally come. And some baby named John, who can't have a beer, who has to be set, who is set aside from birth, who has the Holy Spirit in him at birth. And it's not only the end of their barrenness, but it's the end of the silence and the barrenness of, between God and His people. God's about to do something big time again. Verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. Does that not sound like Abraham and Sarah? The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have, I have, sent, have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Whoops. <laughs> until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he did not speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service ended, he went to his home. Okay, they're wondering what happened to Zechariah because he's been in there a while. He's been in the Holy of Holies for a while. And he hasn't come out like he's supposed to. Remember, there's a worship service going on outside. 
There's people, there's a group of people waiting. Zechariah looks at the angel and goes, how's this supposed to work exactly? I'm a little old. The angel says, because you doubted me. And by the way, I just came from the throne room of God himself, and you doubt me. Gabriel's giving him his resume. I'm Gabriel. I'm the right hand of God, and I just gave you the message, and you doubt this. Because you doubted this, you're not going to be able to speak about it until the baby is born. Now, I mentioned that Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah has been a priest for a long time. Zechariah gets his moment in the Holy of Holies, his Super Bowl. And in the midst of his moment in the presence of God, an angel appears, and now he can't tell anybody about it. God doesn't have a sense of humor at all, does he? The silence has been broken. We're hearing from God for the first time in hundreds of years, and it's going to last a little bit longer. (laughs) Because the person he told him, I'm coming, can't talk. Can't announce it. Hey, hey Elizabeth, we're going to have a baby. Can't say it. Can't give the wife the good news. Can't give the people in the assembly outside the good news. But the one who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah is coming. Can't announce any of it. Because he doubted. His response to the disruption of God was, wait, 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 how is this supposed to work? I don't get it. I, I'm not sure you'll do what you'll say you'll do, God. And the angel goes, because you doubt, there are going to be some consequences. <laughs> Uh-oh. And we know it's temporary, right? This is not a you'll never speak again. That would be like a final judgment on something he did wrong. But it's definitely a disciplining consequence for the doubt. He's letting Zechariah know this is the real deal because he questioned God's procedure about doing it. How's this going to work? How am I going to have a kid now? I think most of us be like, how's this going to work? Right? But his doubt had a disciplining consequence to it. It's temporary. He's mute. By the way, we're talking about disruptions, right? How would you like to go through the rest of your priestly duty and go home unable to talk? Hey, for the next two weeks, the next, no, no, no. Next nine months, you're not talking. That's disruptive. Zechariah had lots of opportunity to listen for nine months since he didn't listen to the angel. Did he not? Couldn't talk. Says he's giving hand motions. He's going out to the crowd going, you know, <laughs> they're like, what does he do? What's wrong? What happened in there? You know what I mean? He can't talk. He can't tell them the good news that's been given. They know something's up because he can't talk. And then the last couple of verses, we get further reaction. When his time of service had ended, in other words, he had to finish out whatever his tour was as a priest, unable to communicate. It just wasn't instantaneous. This was whatever his shift was with his group. He had to finish it mute. He went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when, I looked, when He looked favorably upon me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Elizabeth hides away, because this is weird, because I'm not sure, because I'm waiting to see if this is for real. But then what's her response? God has taken away disgrace. Remember I told you, Having kids is a sign of God's blessing. Her response is, God has ended my pain and chosen to bless me. But not just her. All of Israel. Everyone. So what does this mean for us this morning? Because this was hundreds of years ago. It's not our baby. 
We're not still waiting on silence. We're not in silence. Well, kind of, we are kind of in silence, aren't we? We are kind of waiting for Jesus to arrive again. That's essentially what Advent is, this period of waiting where we prepare ourselves to celebrate the arrival of Jesus. But one thing we know from this story, God is at work, and he remembered his people again. There's a a significance to the name, name Zechariah. After hundreds of years of silence, God remembered his people again. He didn't stop working. Just because we don't hear him, just because we didn't hear him, just because God's been, doesn't mean God hasn't been speaking. It doesn't mean that God hasn't been at work. Maybe we are Zechariah and we're like, yeah, I know God wants me to do this, but I don't know how that's supposed to work. I doubt it. Maybe the message is loud and clear as an angel in front of you, and you're just like, yeah, that, I, don't, I don't trust that, God. I don't see how that works. Maybe, and doubt is somewhat natural, right? But if it's God, and He's clearly giving you the message, maybe you go, okay. Otherwise, you might be mute for two months too. Um, divine disruptions in our life are an opportunity for faith and trust not fear and doubt. When God does something, sometimes it's very disruptive, painful, awful, a worldwide pandemic. It's terrible. A loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, a loss of anything that's disruptive. A professional athlete who has his career ended by an injury. The next day he wakes up and he's not a pro football player anymore. That's a disruption. That's huge. One day you're in the top two and then you lose and you're not. It's a disruption. Divine disruptions in our life are an opportunity for faith and trust, not fear and doubt. What if Zechariah had gone, yes, I can't wait to see this because I trust you. He had the opportunity and he chose, yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to work. I doubt you. But these disruptive moments when they happen give us a chance to place a lean in even harder in our trust in God. The other thing, too, is His deliverance of us is both grand and epic and historic and deeply personal. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're no longer barren. And so the birth announcement's a big deal. But for the people of God, it is an end to the silence and a message of deliverance and hope and good news. Yes, if you put your faith in Christ, you will have a relationship with God and that will lead to your own personal salvation. And that is true. But His salvation plan is much bigger than a decision you made when you were 12. His plan is to redeem the whole world. Colossians 1 says that Christ is reconciling all things to Himself. Yes, it's personal salvation, but it's a kingdom built. Not just a soul list. God is going to make all things new again. It's epic and it's personal. And if He fulfills, one thing we can take away from this story is if He fulfills the promises that were made about the one who is going to prepare the way, then we can trust His promise about the one who is to come. If He's making Abraham, Abraham, if He's making Zechariah and Elizabeth happy, 
and sending the prophet, he will certainly send the king. Let's pray. God, you alone are God. And I pray that when we're faced when we're pray, faced with your intervention in our life, we will take that as an opportunity to lay our trust at your feet. We know that you loved us and you seek to redeem us. And we are excited that you, in this season, are preparing our hearts to, prepare, to participate in the redemption of everything. For that, we give you all the praise and glory. In Christ's name, amen.